so glad everyone is here. And as we're just thinking about all the 4th of July coming up and, you know, just all the different things that are surrounding this, all the picnics, all the hot dogs, all the hamburgers, the fireworks, all the different things. You know, as I was contemplating this message and working all that in there, all of that is well and good. And it's something certainly we should be celebrating. And it's, it's, it's really amazing where we are as a country. But I don't think we should forget about what it actually cost our forefathers. Do you realize, and I'm sure you do, but just come back with the remembrance with me, that they didn't know how this was going to turn out. So they risked everything. Because had we lost the American Revolution, we wouldn't have had independence, and they would have gotten squashed by England, and they would have certainly seen them as traitors, treason, and annihilated all of them and their families. They had a huge, huge risk that they played in doing this. But now we have the freedom because of all the links that they went to and the ones that died in that war and all the people, men and women of the world that are serving in our armed forces around the world. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, there's just a huge, huge price for liberty. And it takes me to our first scripture in Galatians chapter 5, if you'll turn with me, and it'll be up on the screen for those of you who want to look at the screen instead. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And as I was preparing my message, this scripture just jumped into my mind and just was leaping inside of me. And so I started looking at it and digging into it and looking what the exact words were. But for freedom, where it's, it's written there in the yellow, it literally means liberty and freedom. And then Christ set us free means to made exempt from a liability or no longer under restraint. So when you think about that, it was for liberty and freedom that Christ made us exempt from a liability and no longer under restraint. That, if you let that just penetrate inside of you, he didn't make us free just so we could say, hey, I'm free. Hey, I'm free. Okay, you're free. And I'll again again come back. The four cores of our church are, we want you to know God. We want you to find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. This is the second core value that we have freedom. This whole weekend is about freedom. It was for freedom. God's desire is for us to not be bound to our past anymore. It was for that freedom that Christ has set us free. Of course, with the military men and women around the world, as they obey orders and and they do what they're told to do, I'm reminded about my dad when he was um, telling the story about when he joined the Army Reserve, and they said, I want you to go take this dirt that's over here and put it over there. And he's like, wow, there's, there's got to be, and I'm paraphrasing this, so dad, don't, don't forgive me if I tell it wrong. But it, it, the story's great the way I'm going to tell it, all right? So he, they said, get this dirt and put it over there. So he dug this hole, and he's saying, man, there's a great, something's going to go there where I'm digging this hole, and this is going to be a great thing. It's going to help the team thing. So he digs this hole and puts it over there, and then they said, okay, um, I want you to put this dirt over here in this hole. And he's like, I just 
took this from here and put it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So went over there and did it, put it back, and it says, okay, now your next task is, you see this round circle over here with fresh dirt? We want you to dig that out and put it over here. And wouldn't you be going, why in the world are you doing this to me? This is just futile work, and it's not doing anything, and all you're doing is making me tired, and it's a stupid exercise. But the purpose of it is so you don't question authority. That you realize in the middle of a battle, when there's bullets flying and your life and death is in the matter of a second, you don't have the time to go, no, no, well, why should I do this? You need to be trained to obey right now, right there. That's it. So the saying goes that all gave some and some gave all. So while this isn't necessarily about our veterans and those who have given their life, I don't want us to just go how wonderful and beautiful the fireworks are, how great the hamburger and the hot dogs are, but let's remember this Independence Weekend, those who have paid the price, those who have given all. I have another story for you. Now about me. When I was in 7th or 8th grade, I can't remember which one it was, we were on a field trip, I believe it was a basketball game, and as we're traveling on the bus, I, I... you know, moving around, talking around to everything. Somehow, some way, there was a story that became running around and gossip that I'd said something inappropriate to a teacher, one of the female teachers. And so it, I didn't, and I don't even know where the story came from, how it all came, you know, gossip just comes as gossip comes. And so I got confronted by Coach Bailey, who is the baseball coach and the football coach. So he got really upset with me because he thought I was inappropriate to this other teacher. So he's confronting me about it. He's chewing me out about it. He's giving me the third degree about it. And I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I didn't do that. And he made him even matter. He's getting more and more frustrated with me. And so it, it started boiling over. And this is during the time of school that is no longer here. But when they could paddle you in school for any reason whatsoever, they didn't really, you know, the wind blew the wrong way and you can get paddled. Okay. So he is getting so angry with me. He goes, well, I'm going, you're going to get paddled because you did this. And I'm going, I, I didn't do anything. And then he's getting more and more angry. It's, getting, it's escalating and escalating. And he called another teacher there to be a witness. And he said, take all this stuff out of your pockets and put your hands on the desk. And I'm like, he's mad and he's the baseball coach. That's not a good, you know what I'm saying? That's not a good combination. And so he is literally about to let into me and the door pops open and it's the female teacher. She'd heard, thank you, Jesus. I'm about to be annihilated by the baseball coach. And she heard what was going on. She busted in there. She said, give us a moment. She went in there. She told him I didn't say anything. And she vindicated me. I was falsely accused. And thankfully, mine had a rescue ending to it. But we're going to look at a story in the Bible where they didn't have a rescue ending to it. If you'll turn in your Bible with me to Daniel chapter 1. Now I'm going to try and paint a picture with you. So there's a little bit of background I'm giving here and you're going to follow along with me. So try and follow the bouncing ball. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave him the victory. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, and placed them in his treasure. He grabbed all their stuff. Then the king ordered this other guy, his chief of staff, to bring the 
to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to, to Babylon as captives. Select, he says, only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. That's hilarious to me. The strong and the healthy I get, but why they want the good-looking ones, I don't know, but that's just kind of funny. The Bible's funny. He said, make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. So the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine over his kitchen, and they were trained for three years. He chose, verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the four were four of the young men that were chosen all from the tribe of Judah. So we're not going to read that whole thing. And it's a great story if you go read the whole thing. But it's just this crazy story that here they are in captivity. Okay, This other king, King Nebuchadnezzar, came and warred against their country and they lost. So now they're taken into captivity. And he says, now I want you to find the best of them because now they're going to come work. They're going to be servants in my palace. They're going to work here. But you've got to train them for three years so they're up to speed on how we're doing stuff. So not only are they here working, they're assimilated, they know our language, they know our, our customs and everything else. And so they did this in verse 17 of the same chapter. We're going to skip around a little bit, but you're going to see the picture we're painting. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Pause. Let me just put a plug in here again. God gave all of us a gift. That's the third step in growth track for us to discover the gifts that are inside of us because every single one of us has a gift and God intends us to use that gift because he gave us that ability. Here it shows us that he gave them extraordinary aptitude for understanding and Daniel had this special ability to interpret the meanings of dreams. Verse 20, whenever the king consulted them, the four Hebrew children, in any matter regarding wisdom and balanced Judgment, he found them 10 more times, 10 times more capable than anybody else. So now got the stage set, all right? You with me? So here God's promoting them. Anytime they are called upon, it's just like they're 10 times even better. It's just like amazing. So chapter 2, verse 1. One night during the second reign, the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such a disturbing dreams that he could not sleep. So he called all the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, and he demanded they tell him what he had dreamed. Can you imagine? It's one thing to say, I had the craziest dream last night. I dreamed I was drinking Coca-Cola and I was riding on a donkey. And then there was, you know, this music playing. I don't know what that's about. Well, you had pizza right before you went to bed. That's what it's about. Okay. But, you know, it's another thing where he says, okay, I had a bad dream and it disturbed me. I couldn't sleep. Tell me what I dreamt. What? Are you kidding me? Hmm. He's going on, verse 3. He says, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. But he told them, tell me what the dream was, and then tell me what it meant. But to the king told the astrologers, I'm serious about this, and if you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you're going to be torn from limb to limb, and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Now, that's a pretty disturbing dream, and that's a pretty disturbing thought that's about to happen to all these people that are promoted and high up in the, 
in the kingdom and setting there. So they replied to the king, verse 10, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. There's just no way. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among the people. So that's their get-out-of-jail-free card. They're like, only God could tell you this. Only the gods, it's lower G. Only the gods could tell you this, and they don't live here. Okay, so we're not them. And it's just impossible. So the king got really, really angry, and he said, I want every one of them to be killed. Go out and send out this army and this whole detail to go out there and kill them. And they're all just like about to get... So... They came to Daniel and the four Hebrew children, and since they're in that lot, since they're in that group of people, they're also about to get... So Daniel asked them, he goes, what's going on? Why are you about to kill us? Why? We don't know anything about what's going on. And they said, told him the story. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. In chapter 24, Daniel said to him, the people who are sent to kill him, Do not kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Remember, God gave Daniel a special gift, a special talent to interpret dreams. He says, take me to the king. But the thing that's really interesting to me here is the reality is all the sorcerers, the magicians, the enchanters, all these people over here, they're all doing something that is void of God. They're not from Jehovah God as we know. They're fortune tellers. They're just doing all this other stuff that is not godly. That's a great opportunity for Daniel to say, hey, listen, you can wipe all of them out, but leave us because I'll tell the king what he needs to know. But what he's saying is, don't kill anybody. Hold on. Take me to the king. David, Daniel went and he started praying and he asked God, he said, God, please, you give me this gift. This is an unusual request, but show me. And God gave Daniel the dream and showed him everything he showed Nebuchadnezzar. And he walks in in verse 27. He replies to the king, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. He agreed with them. This is an impossible task. There's no one possible. There's no one who can do this. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. See, Daniel's seeing, and he's painting the contrast because everybody down here, everybody you normally gather your wisdom from, they are not able to do this, but there is a God in heaven who supersedes all of that. And he has shown you, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will happen in the future. And he went to lay out and he told him the whole thing. King Nebuchadnezzar is just blown away by it all because Daniel told him what was in the dream and then told him what the dream meant. So, verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. He worshipped Daniel. You see, Daniel didn't say... I, I, I happen to be smarter than all these other guys, so I got you. He said, there is no one, including himself, who can answer this. But there is a God in heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar missed that, and he bowed down and started worshiping Daniel. Next chapter, where we're trying to go. 
King Nebuchadnezzar made this golden statue that is 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. Now think about that. That's nine stories high and nine feet around. All right. That's a pretty big statue, all of gold, right? Now that wasn't just made overnight. They didn't have a crew that just, you know, did this overnight. So the next morning is there. This took a long time for them to build. So can't you imagine? Everybody's like, well, what's this going to be? Why is it? Hey, did you hear what it is? Do you see what's going on over there? So they got all this inquisition of what's going on. It's so big, you can see it forever. And then he says, when the sound of a song comes on, this particular song, then everybody in the entire kingdom has to bow down and worship this image. And the children of Israel are like, uh, no, we're not going to worship some gold idol, this thing that's up here, whether it's this big or it's nine feet tall, 90 feet tall. We're not going to do this. But now can you imagine? Have you ever been to a church where they have everybody stand up and then they say, okay, if you go to church, you're set down. So all the visitors are still standing there like, oh no, there's crickets going on. It's like, oh my gosh. That's, we don't do that because that makes you uncomfortable. But that's what they did here. The music played and all of them just bowed down and started worshiping the idol. And then the Hebrew children go like, you know, but it's very obvious that they're still standing. Now, here's the cool thing as well for me that, you know, we're so tempted to find a way out and we're trying to find some way that we can not be in trouble with it. They could have said, you know, I'm going to cross my fingers, God. You and I, God, we know, you know, you know, I'm not, I don't really worship this thing. It's just, hey, I got to tie my shoe, right? I mean, they could have looked for any way so they were not standing out. They didn't. They stood. So it made all the other people mad. In verse 12, here's the tattletales. They came to the king and says, there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their names that they gave them. Their Babylonian names. Whom you, king, have put in charge of the province of Babylon. And they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the golden statue you've set up. Isn't there people in your life that are like that? That they're so quick to run and tell your boss, hey, did you notice that they're not doing this? And look at them. You gave them this authority over here and they don't even care nothing about you. They're not even doing what you said. And they're totally twisting and perverting this. Now, remember, it was just right before that that he had this dream that was so terribly disturbing to him he couldn't sleep and he's like i'm gonna kill all you people if you don't tell me and god came through with these very same people he forgot so quickly i might also be in that category that i can forget what god did for me yesterday and miss what he wants to do today so the king says, I can't believe it. I mean, here they are. They're 10 times better than everybody else. Whenever I give them something to do, there's got to be a mistake. Maybe they didn't understand. Maybe it's maybe a language barrier. Maybe they didn't quite get it. I got to hear it for myself. So he called, pulls them up and they're before him. He goes, okay, you, you gotta be, there's got to be some mistake going on here, but this is the law. This is what's going on. And now we've got all these people over there. The accuser's like, what do you got to do, king? You've you, you got to kill them because you, know, they're, you, you said this and they're not doing it. They're rebelling against you. And they're like... No. So the king says, all right, I'm going to give you a second chance. We're going to make them play the song again, and I'm going to sit here and watch you. Maybe you just didn't understand what you're supposed to do. So here we go. This is what we're going to do. And he played the song, and they stand there. It's getting more difficult. 
Before it was around everybody else. Now you're in front of the king, your boss, the supreme ruler of that area. And he's like, the next verse, verse 15. But if you refuse, he tells them, I'm going to throw you immediately into a blazing furnace. And then look at this. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? Isn't that interesting? He had just came face to face with, there's no God who can answer your dream. There's no sorcerers, there's no one, but there's a God in heaven. And he missed that. And here he says, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? You may be in a situation, you may find yourself in a situation that you look, it looks hopeless for you. And the king in your life may be saying, what God is there? Who is able to rescue you from my power? There's no one that's going to protect you. You have to do what I say. You better do this. Forget about what God says and all this stuff. You better do what I say because who's going to rescue you from me? When I was going through the police academy to become a deputy, I think all of you know I used to be a deputy in Manti County. Florida, and it was a great part of my life. But as we're going through all of the different trainings to be able to have our certification, you know, actually go out and do it, one of the steps was we had to get sprayed with the pepper spray. Not the cheap stuff that you can go buy at the store, you know, that it's a little bad. I mean, talk about the really bad stuff that the cops carry, okay? And you had to do that so that if you ever were in, called in court, you did this terrible thing to my client. Have you ever been pepper sprayed? See, it's cruel, cruel and unusual punishment. You can say, yes, I have. And they're like, oh, well, that just shoots that one right down. But it also was to teach us that when someone sprayed, they still can fight that they're not um, incapacitated. So the day comes for us to do this. And Lieutenant Hoffmeister, he called us all in and we're all sitting there and we're in our, you know, our gym shorts and our, our workout gear. So, you know, we're ready for this because, you know, there's going to be a lot of water involved. And he says, all right, now let me just tell you this. You're going to think you're going to die, but you're not. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just, trying to make, you're just trying to hype us out. You're just trying to scare us. You're just trying to... He goes, no, 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 listen to me. I'm being really serious with you right now. You're going to think you're going to die. Listen to my words. You're not going to die. We go out there. And he says, okay, close your eyes and hold your breath. He goes, this pace of line right there. And then they make you punch the bag so you can get the... You understand that people can still do stuff while they're doing this. It doesn't knock you out like a taser does. But it's before tasers. So then they take you over there. They got a water hose and it's trying to get all the excess, but it's oil-based, so it's not coming out with the water very well. And then you dunk your head like you're bobbing for apples in this ice-cold water. And it's like, hey, this isn't so bad. And then all of a sudden, it just like comes on. Like your, your face is, has gasoline on it and somebody just lit a match. And then they took us to the showers, and I sat in the showers for 45 minutes. And I honestly thought, I'm going to (laughs) die. It was so terrible. The only way I can describe it is I was raised in West Texas up in the panhandle by Lubbock, and there's no water. The most water we saw was our bathtubs on Saturday night, all right? That's all the water we had. So I consequently don't swim I could probably save myself. I can't, I can't save anybody else. So you're all on your own if there's ever a problem. All right. So you guys better know how to swim. Maybe help me out. But if it's stressful for me to get into a pool, this analogy for me 
was like you took me down to the deep end of the swimming pool and you let me get a breath of air and then you pulled me down and you held me at the bottom of that pool until my lungs are just about to explode and you let me up just to go and then you jerked me back down again for 45 minutes. Now you may not be able to relate to that but someone who doesn't like water very much, that's terrible. I literally thought, this is the end. I'm going to die. Andrew's six years old right now. Andrew's one year old. Alec was six years old. It's like, this is it. This is going to be it. I'm never going to see my mom again. I'm never going to see my wife again. This is, I'm going to die right here. And I heard Lieutenant Hoffmeister's words. You're not going to die. You're going to think you are. But you're not. Here we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at this movie Moment where the, the intense music is going up. It's the, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And here's their reply in verse 16. This takes a lot of guts. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Wow. Can you imagine? This king just said, if you do not do this, I'm going to throw you into this furnace. You're going to die being burned to death. Now, this was one way that they did capital punishment at that time. So undoubtedly, they've seen and heard some people being thrown in there. Can you imagine how horrible the, the smell, the, the sounds, the, the screams, because you're not immediately killed? And just the, tor- the, the terrible thing of this And they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Next verse. If we're thrown into the burning, the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, oh, majesty. See, he just issued a challenge. Who is able to save you from me? He said, our God in heaven is able to rescue us from you. And I love how they were still respectful, your majesty. My favorite verse in the entire Bible is next, verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, again with respect, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you've set up. That shows such conviction inside of them. And how does that conviction get there? It gets there from knowing who your God is. They weren't wavering. They weren't going, I hope it's turned out okay. Unbelievable. Verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage and he commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the burning, the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace 
fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. So they're just, as they're standing there, they just took this rope and just tied them all up so they're mummies. They can't move. They can't do anything. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Seems like a pretty bad day to me. But suddenly, in my Bible I have but suddenly highlighted. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement. How morbid is this? He's standing there watching them die. That's what he likes to do for pleasure jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, did we, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, I see four men unbound where they were all tied up in bondage. He was unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. One translation says it looks like the Son of God. Now, isn't it amazing that where he doesn't know who God is, and Daniel interpreted his dream, and rather than giving glory to God, he gave glory to Daniel and bowed down and worshiped Daniel. He now has this unbelievable experience of watching these three young kids thrown in there, And when there was three that should have been consumed, they're walking around. See, the things that were binding them was the only thing that got removed in the fire. And they're walking around. Now, what's the normal thing that we would do if we got into a fire? If we fell into the fire or something? We want to kind of jump out. So when all this binding on them comes off, when you want to go, let me get out of here. Somehow I survived. They stayed in the fire. God showed up with them. Jesus showed up with them in the fire. <laughs> Goes on to say, Nebuchadnezzar said, Come out! And they came walking out. Where that fire was so hot that it's consuming the soldiers. They weren't consumed. God showed up. Can I suggest to you that in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our adversary, that's when God shows up. See, my story with the coach, that's how we want it to be. We want the teacher to bust in the door and say, hold on. That's not God's way. I was very happy for that day. But that's not God's way. He doesn't go, okay, you're standing in front of King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just going to go, oh and just walk into the room and go, oh my gosh. I mean, angels are 15 feet tall. Can you imagine? I mean, he could have done some spectacular thing to show up. It's not God's way. You've heard me say this before. He could have been on the cross, nailed to the cross, and just goes, and the nails go shooting out, and he just like translates down there, and he's like, oh, and he's like sitting in midair. Everybody would have went, oh, I get it. I believe you're the gear God. He doesn't do spectacular things to draw attention to himself. He shows up in the midst of your fire. 
Isaiah 43 says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. This is your Father God speaking to you. I have called you by name. I know your very name. You are mine. Man, if you ever have a time that you're going through a struggle, I'd be writing down Isaiah 43, verse 1, and just reading that, just stopping right there. We're going to go on, but just right there, that's enough. (laughs) I have called you by name. You're mine. Game over. That's it. My God is huge. That's great. That's all I need to know, verse 2 says. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. Doesn't say I'll keep you from the deep waters. I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fire, you will not be burnt up, and the flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The story goes on with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says that when they came out, none of their clothes were singed. They didn't have any burn marks. Nothing had happened to them. So they didn't even smell like smoke. I can't even go to Heartache where my daughter Jennifer works to go visit her, to bring her anything. I can't even visit her for three seconds being in Heartache and I walk out smelling like smoke, smelling like barbecue, smelling like I'm really hungry right now. I'd like to have some barbecue. But I... How is it they were in this furnace that they should have come out and says they didn't even smell like smoke? Can I suggest to you, you can't drown what's been baptized in God. We've got a baptism sign up. We've got baptism showing, kind of come up in the, the next couple of weeks. And I just want to circle back. I know it's in our announcements, but if you haven't been baptized after you made a commitment to Christ, that's the next step for you. Maybe you got baptized as a, as a child or as a baby or maybe when you first got saved and your life has been changed, you rededicated your life. You say, man, I want to take that next step again because I just want to refresh it. That's perfectly fine. Go and sign up for that. But you're, you can't drown what's already been baptized in God. You can't burn what's already on fire. Those three Hebrew children with that much guts to stand up before the king and says, you can't kill us. If he allows it, we're still going to serve him. But you don't have that power. See, they were already on fire for God. No fire can take them out. And when you have the life of God inside of you, you can't bury that. I set all of this story for this. Verse 16, I want us to look at some of the things that popped up here. This is where they're making their declaration. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, and look what's highlighted. We do not need to defend ourselves. The next verse. If we are thrown in, the God whom we serve will rescue us. Next verse. We want to make it clear to you. We will never. Do you see we? You want to guess what my next words are going to be? They're better together. 
You know how difficult it is when you're one person standing up to the king, standing up to adversary, standing up to the fire that's trying to take you out. And when you have somebody beside you that you're linking arms with and say, oh king, we, we're better together. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all were in this together. We are in this together. See, they were in captivity and they were in a situation that they couldn't change. You may find yourself at a place that right now you say, man, I wish I could change what's going on in my life. But you can link arms and join up. And in the midst of that fire, what was binding them up, what was trying to hold them back was the only thing that was disintegrated. And they started walking around. And God's able to come and join you in the midst of your struggle so much that you're not even in a hurry to get out. That you'll stay there until it's the right time. Bow your eyes with me. Bow your head and close your eyes. God shows up in our trials and in our difficulties. This is Independence Weekend. The children of Israel, these four, found independence, but it wasn't in the way they thought. I want to remind us what's on our money, what's on our coin, and what's on our paper. It says we're one nation under God. The same God that we just saw that was able to give a dream and give the interpretation. They was able to rescue those Hebrew children and save them. That's who our nation is under. But I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you would say this morning that I'm under God. You might say, Pastor Kevin, I'm far from God. I've never been under God. I've never been under his authority. I've never recognized him as my king, as my father. Or maybe you would say, I once did it a long time ago, but if I'm honest with you, I'm far from God right now. Right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to change all that. Today can be your day to make that first-time decision or make that decision again. So if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to call you forward. We're not going to do anything. I just want to ask you, if you're listening on the podcast, you're watching on the stream, you're watching the video, God's power is there to save you just as it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Pray this prayer with me, if that's you. God in heaven, thank you for sending your son to die in my place to pay for my sins so I don't have to. I ask you to forgive me for living my life without you. Jesus, please forgive me. I surrender everything to you. Be the Lord of my life. Be number one. In the best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Today, I give you my life. The other side of this 
is having that understanding that we're better together. You may have a personal relationship with God, but you may not be plugged in with people that are going to help you be there to go through those storms, to go through the fire, to go through the water, the floods. This message is challenging to me that we're all together. My wife has a saying that all things are common to women. What she's going through today, you went through yesterday, you'll go through tomorrow, or you're going through right now. We're all in this together. We are better together. So, Father God, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice. I pray for myself. Lord, that we will link up with each other and we'll be there to be the strong person for the one to our left and to our right and that they'll be there for us. Lord, that when we have difficulties, when we have fire in our life, when we have floods that are trying to consume us, when we have things that are trying to take us out and make us get our eyes off of God and to look at the things in the carnal, in the world, that we have somebody there that's going to say, we will not bow to this golden image. We won't bow to what peer pressure is trying to make us do. But it's easier to do that when there's we instead of just me. Father God, help us to all be in this together. In Jesus' name we pray.